Live from the secret underground Jamaican base of Dr. No, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kevin. As always, I'm joined by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. Hello. And Mackenzie, this is, this is, I hate to keep saying it. You know, you say it every week and it loses its meaning, but mm. this is truly one of the biggest episodes <laughs> of Austin Danger Podcast yet. It's a biggie. I mean, you know, we'll get into it with Alan Parsons. These Bond movies don't have much, you know, crew or cast connection outside of this is just where Austin really began. You know what I mean? The inception. Uh, and we'll get into it. I, for one, was delighted to see where a lot of the Austinisms came from. Um, so I think the Bond journey is a very exciting journey to beginning. And I'm, I'm excited to watch more. I want to watch some more Bond. I hope we get to them again soon. Mackenzie, plug yours for a moment. Uh, fellow James Bond fans, man, you're listening to this right now. You're like, wait until we get to Roger Moore. No one is <laughs> relishing in this enthusiasm as much as me. No one. Hey, oh. look, and at the end of the episode, I spin the wheel again, and we may get from Russia with Love, the next film in the Bond series. So, But we're getting ahead of ourselves at the bottom of the hour. We're talking James Bond's first adventure, Dr. No the origin of some of the most iconic imagery in cinema. They nailed it. It's minute one. Couldn't believe my eyes, but that's all later. First, Mackenzie, I got to hear what you've been watching. I watched a few things this week. I feel like the big one I've got to mention is I did watch my dinner with Andre, one of the all-time Kev films ever. And it is uh, not only my top four, but my one, my number one, because of the giant image of a confused Wallace Shawn, which is uh, forever on my letterbox. He is so great. I really want to check out Vanya on 42nd Street because I feel like that yeah. specifically feels like it'll be like deeply my shit. Um, it's great. I ended up leaving it unrated because I gotta let you know, the edible hit hard during the second <laughs> half. And by the time we were getting like to the really existentialist conversations, I was just like, eyes wide staring at the television like <laughs> whoa <laughs> like i was watching the fucking moon landing or something and it was my dinner with andre uh, but rachel and i both dug it a lot i mean you know we're we're theater artists we're people who are connected to art and theater and what it means to make art in an ever-changing world and i feel like that among with many other themes are the themes of my dinner with andre i was i mean i guess i had seen when our friend when 70 millimeter did it and we had friends that were watching it. I saw a lot of people talk about Andre talking a lot. And in my brain, I was like, surely it's not that much. And then I was like, oh, this is the whole movie. That man, I cannot imagine what memorizing that script must have been like for him as an actor. Like, holy shit, that man talks for a really long time. Yeah, the last time I saw the movie, Andre was there in person. It was his 88th birthday last oh, year. Yeah, I remember. And that was that was very special. But he does swear still to this day that all of the stories he tells are true. So That's it makes so sense. Although Sean and Gregory have said that they could perform it flipped. I don't mm. believe it for a second. Yeah, I feel like they're perfectly cast and the people because they're basically playing, you know, exaggerated versions of themselves. So I feel like right. they're they're where they should be. I think they make sense. And uh, yeah, Wallace Sean is one of the greats and he's he's wonderful in it. And as an, an experimental director, I have no doubt that Gregory, although they did take a long time to fine tune the script, mm -hmm. like to be that intimate with a piece and to know it so deeply, like I had a feeling it was no problem. 
Yeah, I was reading a lot yeah. about the. I, I mean, I was like shocked it was a script. Like, I would that was what really impressed me when I looked it up because it like it feel it's so beautifully rehearsed and well performed that like it feels like you're just like watching two people talk, which is the point. Um, it just is so meticulous, but also natural, which is a really amazing gift that some artists have, and the two of them do. And and Lou Mal, you know who Louis Mal who directed. I obviously I'm assuming had a hand in, you know the pacing and how it was visually shown to us. Um, so yeah, I dug it. I, I, I kind of went down HBO max and I made a list of five movies and was like, Rachel pick from these five. And uh, she picked my dinner with Andre. So that's how I came out. Way up to and... go, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> the other films were like Network and like Juno or something. Like anything that caught my eye, I was like, Network is another one of the greatest films of all time. I want to watch it. And Juno I was obsessed with uh, when it came out. So I, I want to watch it as an adult. Um, but that's a, that's a story for another day. Um, and then I think outside <laughs> of that, the only other thing that I watched that was interesting is something that like, I don't know if I'd recommend to everybody, but I watched Julia, which is a Julia Child documentary from 2021. Um, It's on HBO Max right now. And, you know, I've talked about it a lot on this show, my love of the Food Network and my love of cooking. And cooking is a passion in my life and something that I really care about and that I love doing and teaching myself to cook and just becoming a better chef home chef has been something that's really special to me. And, uh, lately I've been watching this guy on YouTube named anti chef who is like a sweet little Canadian guy who is working his way through Julia child's, uh, recipes to, uh, so much mess and, uh, and, and hardships in a way that is charming and funny. So she's been on my mind a lot. Cause I also love the movie, Julie and Julia. I got mastering the art of French cooking for the holidays and I've just been like, Julia's been on my mind. And I watched this doc. I gave it five stars because it made me cry three times. And that's all you really need for a five-star movie for old Wilkes over here. Um, but yeah, I, I recommend it. If you're someone who likes cooking or you have a vague interest in Julia Child, it's really, really interesting. It's, it's you know, a pretty encompassing view of her life. I'm sure there's things that are left on the table. But it's a pretty engaging really wonderfully directed and wonderfully edited documentary about her life it's not afraid to get into the complicated aspects of her like julia's hashtag homophobic era she was i learned this because the hbo max or max show julia gets into it that she wasn't super into gays for a very long time um and the documentary gets into that too and i i appreciate the documentary not being afraid to go to the darker parts of julia's oeuvre yeah is there like a Julia Child impersonator saying homophobic remarks? On <laughs> no, the there's not. Series, they just no, no. How well, are no, they going to raise a child? So look, look, we didn't. We actually fell off around this episode because there was a moment in the Julia HBO Max series where, like, she has a friend from college who's who like it, like visits her after a long time and is like, "I'm gay," and I think I was so in love with you in college, haha. Making a joke about it, being like, you know, maybe you were part of my burgeoning sexuality during a formative time in our lives. I'm gay now and in a happy relationship. And then Julia has a full panic about it. <laughs> and we and Rachel looked it up and we found out like it's real. She was openly anti-queer. And then I think the thing that happened to a lot of people and that still happens is like when you realize you love a gay person, you realize it's it's harder to hate gay people. And she had a lot of close friends who died of the AIDS epidemic. And that really just sh- was a hard shift in Julia Child to be like, wait. And she became an AIDS advocate and um was and which i think during the 80s like a lot of celebrities were scared to speak out um 
and and be on the side of queer people during that time and so like i i like totally as a gay person who likes julia child i give it up that like she had her period of like she grew up really conservative she grew up a certain type of way and when it affected her she was willing to change her mind and all that to say the documentary isn't scared to talk about that and i i appreciate that i'm appreciate that the documentary didn't try to like sanitize her completely um in a way that i think is great and so yeah Getting away from the point, but Julia 2021 onto HBO Max or Max or whatever the fuck it's going to be called now. Um, it's good. If you like Julia Child, you like cooking, you'll enjoy it. But Kev. Yeah. What have you watched? I had a, an eclectic little mix. A lot way, of food. Yeah. Food kind of. Yeah. My dinner and Julia. Yeah. I was just going to say a lot of food, a lot of dinner, a lot of small ducks. Yeah. A lot of duck a lot of small ducks. Yeah. I love I do, well, I I quail, into, I guess. Yeah. Oh, no, I was saying they had quail. I said duck a l'orange, and they had quail. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I don't even remember. If I was asked, I've seen that movie like a dozen times, or eh, maybe not a dozen, but plenty of times. <laughs> I don't remember what they ate. They have it's, some sort of bad. quail because the little legs are sticking up. When they get the plate, the little quail legs stick up, and I was like, When oh, Wally God. looks down at the quail, he didn't even know what he ordered. He just followed Andre's instruction, yes. basically. He just said, I'll have what he's having. And he's pulling on the little legs. Uh, <laughs> that was a scene, of course, in Criterion Collection Spine number 479. Louis Malls, My Dinner with Andre. Criterion Spine number 479. I bought it in a box set with two other Gregory Sean collaborations. Oh, that's amazing. I definitely I am bought it. hoping to check out Vanya on 42nd Street this weekend. And I bought it for the Criterion Collection. Ooh. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, but Vanya on 42nd Street is fucking awesome. I want to watch it. Like the 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 synopsis seems like it's gonna like specifically attack my brain in a way that is so specific. Uh so I'm 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 ready for it. Hell yeah. If you haven't, if you haven't, if you don't know what this is, and maybe you've seen Andre, but don't know what this is, Andre Gregory used to hold acting workshops in the rotting, dilapidated New Amsterdam theater. This was like in the early 90s, right before Disney bought it and put the Lion King in there, and the rest is history. You can go see Aladdin there now. So it's fascinating to see this beautiful renovated theater just completely falling apart. All these actors are trying to do Anton Chekhov's Uncle Vanya with Wallace Shawn, ferocious as Vanya. Oh, I'm excited. I yeah, I'll we'll we'll get into it one day. But I you know I I was not a big Chekhov person when I was in theater school, and he felt like a requirement that you had to be obsessed with him. But I did Sonia's monologue that we must live Uncle Vanya, we must live in spite of the the big final monologue she that gives him. That play is that speech is unbelievable. It's an unbelievable speech. And if you watch uh, Drive My Car, it was used beautifully yes. in that movie as so well. Good. Uncle Vanya is like he's got a that play's got a hold on some really beautiful films. So yeah, I. Yeah, the woman I saw the woman who plays Sonia in Vanya on Forty Second Street. She plays a lesbian heart doctor on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, um, but yes, I will watch it. But Kev, oh my gosh, I'm getting so distracted. What did you watch this week? Yeah, you could tell our our combined notes on Doctor No are, are very long. <laughs> by how I actually I'm just willing to let this run. <laughs> I wrote an insane amount of notes on Doctor No, and all of them are stupid. So it's great. I do want to note future Austin Nature podcast legend Parker Posey was in a play that just closed called The Seagull, <gasps> oh, Woodstock, shit. New York. I saw it on Sunday afternoon. Chekhov it is a also. Chekhov adaptation. Yeah. I don't know anything about Chekhov besides this Vanya on 42nd Street movie. Mm. Um, whether the play worked, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Nat Wolf from uh, Naked Brothers Band and the brother of Alex Wolf played like the son character. Wow. 
and Parker Posey played the mother and they were wonderful together. The acting was so tremendous that whether the play, the text worked or not, um, I really enjoyed the acting. So that was cool. That's something I did that is relevant to this conversation. Hell yeah. Um, Signature Theater is a beautiful, uh, beautiful building on 42nd Street in New York. What else did I watch this week? Seagull on 42nd Street. But the day, oh my God, the day, actually, yes. But the day (laughs) before that, I went to my favorite theater in town, the Roxy Cinema in Tribeca. And I saw the movie that our friends at 70 millimeter are talking about this very morning. If you're a real one listening when this episode goes up, I saw Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ. Now, let me tell you, (laughs) I grew up in a Christian church that was very concerned with you giving them your money Mm. so that they could embezzle it and blow it on themselves. Yes. I'm from Tennessee. I'm aware of (laughs) of the way that works. (laughs) And it was literally a very televangelism feeling. Yeah, 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 yeah you know, scam. (laughs) And that totally disillusioned me from Christianity for basically the rest of my life until Saturday night when watching Willem Dafoe go through the last temptation and what that is, I will not reveal (laughs) just his amazing performance as Christ and this amazing moment of what I could have had if I hadn't had to carry the burden of the sins of man Mm -hmm. if you're gonna roll with that and if you're watching last temptation of christ you should um i thought that was just unbelievable the 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 only thing the thing i will say about it is that harvey keitel is judas and his performance is interesting is foul (laughs) oh no I already did this in the 70 millimeter VHS village. I dropped a little MP3 for people. Uh, so you can go enjoy that. If you are subscribed to the best Patreon in the world and the best community on the internet, you can go <laughs> hang out and check that out. But it basically goes like, Hey Jesus, I don't want to kill you. I don't want to betray you. You're my friend. I believe in you. He's doing mean streets, but I don't want to kill you. Iscariot. We're here in the Midtown Manhattan in 33 AD. I don't want to kill you, Jesus. What is his hair? This it's amazing. Like, ginger hair with the brown roots and the brown beard. <laughs> he looks like Fade Route. Like he looks like a Harkonnen. <laughs> like with this weird. He red does hair. look like he looks like the Baron Harkonnen. Yeah. He my read was like like uh Richard Simmons, but from Brooklyn. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds like a bad Judas. And if you thought that was bad, they gave David Bowie a wig. David Bowie plays pilot and they gave him a wig that is just like, I like unacceptable, (laughs) just wild, but it helps to abstract everything and take everything out of the context and reframe everything. Uh, I I don't want to spoil it. I would, I I would highly recommend people take the two and a half hours. You don't want to spoil the, the, the story of Jesus Christ. Well, it's not really the it's not really the story of Jesus Christ. It's a story kind of about Jesus Christ. I thought you were meaning like spoiler alert, he's crucified. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Please make no mistake. Criterion Collection Spine number 70 is a photo of Willem wearing the crown of thorns. Right? Yeah. You can't get away from that. But it's more about what happens next. And um yeah, I really admire it. I admire the way he depicted the miracles as like, hmm. instead of him like turning a glass of water into wine like he's David Blaine, 
it just looks like somebody miscounted the number of jugs of wine. And so like Willem as Jesus will go like, no, that, that's over there. Look, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah. We, I, um, I was in my college, we had to have, we had required religion courses. And my second year one was Jesus and the gospel and film, which actually was pretty cool. Cause we just watched like a bunch of different movies, like Jesus Christ, superstar and Godspell, as well as like, superman and you know and this film uh but there were times where she would just make us watch the film at home and often i did not do that because i was not into movies in college i did a project on this film i never watched it i got an a what (laughs) i did a whole project on the depiction of jesus as a man like versus you know jesus as as like an otherworldly being. That's what this movie is all about. Oh yeah. I looked up paper, other people's papers and I, and I made my own little Frankenstein project on this movie without watching it. And I aced it. And she told me it was the best in the class. And I was like, that is so funny. And I still have never seen it. So it is truly time. It is so close to time. I've watched, I've been watching a decent amount of Scorsese over the last year or so. I, I think I'm up to like the hustler and, 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 and last temptation. So I got to, I got to keep on my journey, my Scorsese journey. My mind is blown. I can't <laughs> believe you have to, you have to watch. I'm it. such a faker. Uh, yeah. So those are my two big things. Parker Posey will one day be a legend on this show. We just yes. got to get the yes. right movies in the right year period. She's a legend uh, forever. A, a mighty wind and Josie and the Pussycats <sighs> in the same year would, would, would sink. And it, Guffman. There's always place for me at the Dairy Queen. Amazing performance in Guffman. But but she was great. The play, we'll know about that. I sat next to the Wolf parents, by the way, and they loved the play. This oh. was like the fifth time they saw the play, and they loved it, no matter I, that's what. That's very sweet. So, I sat, I, I um got comps through my unnamed job, and I sat next to the parents and then in, behind the agent. Oh, wow. And I think like, the barber was there or something, like... It was ridiculous. Wow. And they you're... all tried to talk over me. Fancy. And if you haven't seen me in real life, I'm six foot tall and large. And <laughs> it's hard to get around me. So that was pretty wild. <laughs> but that's it for me, really. You know, time moves on. Yes, I saw Succession. No, I don't want to talk about it. You know. I also did. It was great. That was the it. best. Alan Ruck. The best. Alan the best. Ruck. Oh my God. That, okay. Everyone's talking about like sh- the kid, like the three, the trio and the trio were great. I think Kieran Culkin's going to win his Emmy for this. Hopefully. Yeah. Just saying, I, I firmly believe, but Alan Ruck, man, stole the whole show. I mean, I'm not even a succession person. I haven't watched the first two seasons. I just kind of vaguely watch cause Rachel does. And that was one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen in my whole damn life. But do you want to know what's even it's crazier, good. Kev? Listeners, we are talking about the boat episode, episode three. Uh, no spoilers, I guess, though it will it's already all over the internet. Um, by the time you're listening to this, episode four will be out, and I've heard it's even crazier. So we're talking about like last week's episode, and our minds are probably gonna be blown again from I mean, yesterday when you're hearing this. So uh man, that's the pain of editing or, or of recording early. Oh no, I've gone cross-eyed. Oh no, I've gone cross-eyed. Speaking of Austin Powers going cross-eyed. Whoop-dip news. What does it all mean, Basil? On a previous episode of Austin Danger Podcast, I unilaterally banned any mention of Mike Myers or Jay Roach talking about Austin Powers 4. Why did I do this? Because every time they ask, now it's their duty to ask, 
it certainly gets web traffic, right? Because mm-hmm. every time they ask, everybody prints an article about it. But it's always the same. When Jay is ready, when Mike is ready. Warner has no... Pr- Warner, who owns the rights, when they bought New Line, they acquired the rights to Austin Powers. Warner has no problem telling everyone in the world how much they own Austin Powers, right? It was in mm-hmm. Space Jam 2. It was in the Academy Awards montage for the 100th anniversary of Warner Brothers. I, I I don't usually like to talk about it because I don't think it'll ever happen. But this week, Heather Graham talked <gasps> to Parade Magazine last week. Our queen, Heather Graham. And now she's doing press about a bunch of stuff. I think she has a longer profile in The Hollywood Reporter. Oh, nice. But of course, Heather Graham was asked, would you come back for Austin 4? And she said, of course. Here's the quote. I love working with Jay Roach and Mike Myers. They're so nice. Of course. She said of working with the series director Roach. What the fuck? Why did I read that? It's very obvious who she was talking about. Oh my God. (laughs) The rest of that, sorry, the rest of that quote just describes who Jay Roach and Mike Myers are. That's so funny. What I wouldn't give to have an Austin Powers 4 with Felicity Shagwell's return. Are you effing kidding me i would love that i would love that and it buys into my austin powers for fanfic i pitch never say swinger again so just bada bing bada boom bada bing bada boom mackenzie it's kind of my attention that you have a piece of austin news i do and this is really stupid but it's really really funny and i need to i want to visually see your face when i read this to you so i'm moving my my cameras around So this past Sunday, as we're recording this, will have been a little over a week for you all hearing this, was Easter. Easter Sunday. Oh, no, Jesus. No, Jesus. Come back. (laughs) And um, a tweet surfaced on my timeline multiple times. A tweet that was sent out five Easters ago by Vanessa Kensington herself, Elizabeth Hurley. So this is a tweet from 2018, and I need you to know I'm bringing this up because it went viral this this Easter because people were quote tweeting it and like making fun of how hilarious it is and being like the best Easter tweet, happy Easter. So this was being memed on Easter, and I had to bring it up because it is Elizabeth Hurley. So April 1st, okay. 2018, Elizabeth Hurley tweeted out a photo of her and a young man. Her fi- lip, her face is like touching his cheek their lips are dangerously close it looks vaguely romantic and over them it says happy easter in purple text the text of the tweet that elizabeth hurley sent is thanking god today that my nephew miles is with us for easter his wound is still oozing blood but he's alive and we're thankful (laughs) The knife men who stabbed him are still roaming London, perhaps close to your loved ones. Happy Easter kisses. Okay. I have to to get out in front of this and say that people getting stabbed is not funny. No, but why would she do? that and say the knife man who knifed my nephew who i am almost kissing in this photo might be about to stab your loved ones happy easter you know that's a pretty strong vocal warm-up the knife man who knifed my nephew i'm gonna send this to you kev so you can see the image it's a it's so funny it's so funny i will and everyone go to our instagram stories wow. today wow yeah, doesn't she look like she's like they're dating kind of? 
Is he okay? He got knifed by a knife man. Is I he mean, okay? his blood is his his wound was oozing on Easter 2018. Um, and everyone, if you go to our Instagram stories, I will I will post this on our Instagram stories. So if you want to see the tweet and you don't want to dig back through like five years of Elizabeth Hurley's tweets, um, go to our uh our Instagram today and I will I will pin it there. That's my Austin news. I saw it and said I have to I have to share this because it really is the funniest thing I saw in a long time. Wow. Okay. I I want to say she did subsequently share photos of the wound, <gasps> and I know this <laughs> what? because she, what because what? I I googled Miles Hurley wound. <laughs> no, no, no! Don't go looking at his gross. I yeah. I'm she go was right. It, it is. It was oozing blood. You don't. Wanna, oh. You don't want to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, don't oh don't go. What are you doing? Oh Why did you god. do that? Oh I told god. you not to do that. Oh my god! I didn't know it would be like. No one Google that. No one Google that. If you don't want to throw <laughs> up all over the floor like I just did, no one Google it. I didn't realize it would be a literal hole in his. Oh my god! No one Google that. Yeah, I. I mean, I went on TMZ <laughs> and they censored it, so I didn't actually get I to see it. I went to the Daily Mail and so, they didn't. So don't yeah, do that. Yeah, those fuckers at the Daily Mail won't censor shit. <sighs> Whatever will get you to click. How those am villains. I gonna fucking record an episode, Doctor? No, I feel like I almost just threw up oh fuck me well i hope he's okay because the knife (laughs) okay okay i have to say because there have been stories in the news lately that are actually quite serious about like high profile stabbings in san francisco and elsewhere oh yeah we are not diminishing the impact of somebody no this is horrifying The, the way elizabeth hurley talked about it is what's funny to me it is specifically the use and I know I'm making it less funny by saying it like this, but I just wanted everybody to know where we stand on people getting stabbed to death. Um, yes. The knife man. <laughs> I like possibly. The knife man? My favorite part of the tweet is possibly near your loved ones or something like that. Like that she is saying like this Easter, no one's safe. It sounds like it's like she, it's an action movie. It's the new Terminator. Anybody could be the knife man. Anybody could be the knife man. You never know. I I have to say, anybody who ever wields a knife again in a movie is going to be called the knife man in my eyes forever. <laughs> Elizabeth Hurley's impact. And speaking of the knife man, I mean, that's all. I can't top that. That's all the Austin news I have. Let's go. It's time to talk about one of the most skilled knife men in the world. A dangerous super spy. Mackenzie, for the first of at least 25 times, <laughs> please bring us into the world of James Bond with Dr. No. Jamaica, a station chief of MI6 is murdered along with his secretary by a trio of assassins before his home is ransacked. When the news of his death reaches M, the head of MI6, he assigns intelligence officer James Bond to investigate the matter. And there's some involvement with the CIA and like radio jamming that I didn't really pick up on, but it did happen. When Bond arrives in Jamaica, he must fend himself off from secret agents sent to kill him. Secret agents who end up being allies, evil professors, tarantulas, and of course, 
beautiful women. Dr. Julius No, a mysterious mad scientist with uber-powered mechanical hands, who is allied with an even more mysterious group called Spectre, is aiming to disrupt American space launches with a heavily powered nuclear weapon that he's been building. He doesn't take kindly to the investigative prowess of Agent 007, and when Bond is caught trespassing on Nose Island, the two men finally meet face-to-face over a romantic candlelit dinner. Dr. No offers Bond a place with Inspector, and when Bond refuses, he locks him up. Though the world's greatest super spy is able to break out of his holdings, disguise himself as a henchman, and sabotage Dr. No's plans while Dr. No falls to his death in a pool of overheated coolant from Bond's sabotage of the nuclear reactor. Bond finds Honey Rider. Oh, yeah, did I mention there's a Bond girl who was kind of around for the last 40 minutes? Bond <laughs> finds Honey Rider as they escape the actively exploding island and eventually are found by Bond's CIA allies. He kisses his new lady, finally having defeated the fearsome Dr. No. God, did Malcolm McNabb play these trumpets? Because boy, oh boy. I can confirm no. There are no <laughs> links to Austin Powers, amazingly. Oh, Kev. So I, you know, I feel like, again, if the world treats us right, we are going to eventually watch every single James Bond film. Um, what is your history with maybe the James Bond franchise? And had you seen this James Bond film? I know a lot of people jumped in at Daniel Craig and maybe haven't seen these old ones. Where do you kind of fit in? My grandfather on my father's side loved James Bond. And the two things I knew as a kid about James, three things. Number one, Roger Moore sucks. Number two, Sean Connery is the best. Hmm. Number three, um, I always got really bored. We had like five VHS tapes and it was like, it was actually like pretty good ones, but I would always just get bored to tears by the James Bond films. (laughs) Like a lot of people I got in with, I loved Pierce Brosnan as Bond as an idea, but I hadn't really seen a James Bond movie until... I guess I, I had seen Goldfinger, but like the the Daniel Craig Casino Royale era, and then I went back. Mm. I realized watching this movie that I had never seen it. <gasps> really? And that I had only seen, yes, and I had only seen a handful. It's Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever, because I had one of the DVD sets that was just terrible. <laughs> it's Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever. Hang on, I got it. The World Is Not Enough. Mm-hmm. The Craig movies. And the man with the golden gun, which is going to be one of our best episodes. Oh, I'm excited. That does not mean the movie is any good. <laughs> so so I was so excited to jump in. And this is just a great introduction. What can I say? How about you, Mackenzie? Your history with, with James Bond? I mean, it's not a ton, right? I mean, James Bond is so baked into culture. Like the idea of James Bond, 007, the names of the films, the quotes, the music, Bond, James Bond, shaken, not stirred. Like all these things are just so ingrained in culture, or at least were when I was growing up. So like you you, you couldn't kind of grow up without being aware of James Bond. And I wonder if, you know, a big part of that too is, is Austin was a huge exposure, I think, to the oeuvre of James Bond to me. So I was aware that James Bond existed, if only to inspire Austin Powers when I was a kid. And in high school, I went through an Ava Green phase where, in hindsight, was like very in love with her. And I was watching all of her movies, <laughs> even the worst ones. Uh, Cracks. Oh, God. Ugh, she plays a weird 
a creepy teacher. Um, but I, so I was aware of Casino Royale because I loved Ava Green. And I remember in high school, I had my mom rent it for me from like Redbox, Casino Royale. I, I do not remember anything about this movie except for a very, very important moment with Ava Green at the end of the film that made me hate the film. I was like, oh, I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen Casino Royale. But I was a teenager and I was sad about it and I didn't really watch it for James Bond. So then I kind of just let it go. And then my only other sort of touchstone with Bond is my father-in-law loves James Bond and he loves the Daniel Craig films. He saw No Time to Die in theaters and loved it. So when he came up for the holidays, he was literally like, everyone sit the fuck down. We're watching No Time to Die as a family. <laughs> uh, and we and I watched No Time to Die. So I went from Casino Royale, maybe in high school, middle school maybe, to uh to no time to die which you know is the the, the finale right of, of daniel craig's bond era it is the definitive finale in a way we've never seen and it's also really tight with the with the continuity so so if you hadn't seen like leia sidhu is playing her character from one of the worst movies i've ever seen spectre and uh that all that all comes back yeah, so it just feels like I was jumping into something I had no attachment to. It was a cool movie, but I just didn't really like... I think I just didn't rate it at all on Letterboxd. Um, but yeah, that is sort of my intro to James Bond. And then now I have started an actual Bond journey. But I, I don't know what any of the other Bonds are like, you know? I don't know what, what Roger Moore or, or Pierce Brosnan or anybody i don't know what they're like so i'm interested that's i think i know that like notoriously they are bad but i am interested in the journey yeah yeah and i think the thing is is that it they are iterations on a big idea yes and maybe as we will use this to get into our main discussion here like a lot of stuff we've talked about in the last year or so there is a lot of iconic imagery and stuff set up here you know we've talked about the jaws theme we've talked about a lot of the stuff from Star Wars. And here we're seeing a pretty fully formed, with some major exceptions we'll discuss, a pretty fully formed version of the James Bond. If they made one tomorrow, it would probably feel a lot like this. Uh, it would be way more expensive. <laughs> yes. And I just, I just, I'm, I was so impressed mm. that they have, you know, sure, the classic theme is the theme, right? They didn't hire somebody to do a theme song this time. But everything else is pretty fully full and no gadgets. Mm. Well, he, he kind of makes smart use of like everyday items. Like when he puts right. the hair on the closet or he puts the powder on the thing so he can get the fingerprints. Like he kind of, he shows his smarts in that way and not necessarily gadgety, but more in a, yeah, that kind of old fashioned PI kind of way. <laughs> I, I say this all to say that usually things are a little rougher around the edges, but this seems like it came totally out of the book right on screen. Exactly what you would want. Mm -hmm. I was very impressed. There was like a ton of fun to say it's just having this. I had heard a lot of things about Connery's bond and I'm sure they will show themselves more in future films. Obviously the big one people kind of joke about is the way he treats women. I was actually shocked to not be too like, it wasn't that bad in this movie. I was like, all things considered for no. the, the era it was like generally like, you know, he was a bit smarmy at times, but nothing super, super overtly bad. And yeah, he's charming. He's sexy. I totally see the appeal. Like it was really, I feel like Sean Connery 
is so, like I know him as like the way they portray him on SNL in the 90s like that's Sean Connery in my brain it's so fun to see him in this role and yeah you get the whole vibe of bond you get the whole like i mean god when those trumpets come in those 60s colors the sort of dancing silhouettes it's the 60s rockets yes. it, i was like i the was iphone commercial i was in it i was like oh this fucking rocks like i yeah i was like this is really cool and then yeah connery has that suave sexuality that like you can't put your finger on but you believe what this guy's doing he's a good bond it was really cool right from the superstar entrance to the very end, you're yes. totally sold on this guy. Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah, when it turns to him, we get the very first Bond, James Bond. And then the the music, I, I, I wanted to leap up from my seat. It was so good. Neuf à la banque. I need another thousand. I admire your courage, Miss... Uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. Mr. Bond, I suppose you wouldn't care to um, raise the limit? I have no objections. Now. Looks like you have to get me. It's an idea at that. Have those changed, will you? bad you have to go just as things were getting interesting yes yeah it's it's funny because we've seen it parodied so much but it, like somehow it goes above the parody mm. right like the shot composition there is right in austin powers in the living dangerously scene but even so like it still works it's just a totally killer yeah did you know, by the way, that they wanted Cary Grant, but he wouldn't do a series? <gasps> that, I mean, Cary Grant, I think that his, I don't know. I don't know if I could fully see Cary Grant in this, but also he seems like the peak, like handsome, kind of unassuming guy. That would be perfect. I don't know if, I, I, I'm trying to think of his voice doing the lines. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, well, Bond, James Bond. Like, I don't, I, <laughs> that was maybe more Catherine Hepburn. I, I'm not, a, I'm not good at doing Cary Grant, but I feel like he would. He would, he would sound a little weird. Maybe I'm just used to how Connery sounds, I guess. Trying to imagine Jimmy Stewart as James Bond. <laughs> well, I say, uh, my name is Bond, James Bond. <laughs> wow. Well, Mary, uh, Goldfinger's got me. <laughs> Mary. My, my touchstone for the Jimmy Stewart voice is yelling Mary. That's very That's funny. That's all I got. Um, That's all I got. So yeah, so you did Connery. I feel like he's like the the perfect thing to kind of like make sure we hit because he is he is Bond, James Bond. It is a once in a million casting. How do we know this? Stay tuned to the next twenty years of Austin Danger podcast, and <laughs> and you'll find out. We're gonna be in retirement because, homes wow. recording the final. Like we're gonna be recording No Time to Die in a funeral home, and we won't even make it to the whatever fifteen Bonds had come out since. The last episode of Austin Danger Podcast will be a review of Austin Powers 4. So <laughs> it could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be 20 years from now. So. Can I ask, what is your, this is a hard pivot, what is your favorite Bond fit in the film? I had a favorite fit and I want to ask if you had a favorite fit. I don't know if I had a favorite fit. Because I needed mostly to call I out have to look it up. the blue on blue 
the like blue polo with the blue kind of like shin knee knee short jeans situation yes. on the island that's that was my favorite i thought fit. that was great his suits weren't as tailored as i expected them to be i feel like we move maybe closer to a more tailored uh suit bond later in the series yeah it's a little rough around the edges it is yes i mean the problematic elements of dr no uh as a character mm. as a performance aside Bond's Nehru jacket, I think, has to be my favorite because it is so bizarre. I mean, speaking of Dr. No, maybe we get into that. Maybe we get into Dr. No as a character and as an, as a performance. I mean, like, I will talk about it more in the Alan Parsons project. Obviously, the look is very definitely informed some pieces of Austin Powers. Uh, we'll save that for a little later, though. Um, he was cool. I was shocked at how we'll talk about it more the big detriment to this film to me was the pacing of it it was a bit clunky for me at times and i was shocked by how long it took dr no to appear and how um not as he wasn't as menacing as i wanted him to be by the time he did appear because i just feel like he shows up so late we get him for like 20 minutes maybe 25 minutes clumsy effort mr bond you disappoint me i'm not a fool so please do not treat me as one and that table knife, please put it back. Well, we can't all be geniuses, can we? Tell me, does the toppling of American missiles really compensate for having no hands? Missiles are only the first step to prove our power. Our power? With your disregard for human life, you must be working for the East. East, West, just points of the compass, each as stupid as the other. I'm a member of Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. Special executive for counterintelligence, terrorism, revenge, extortion. The four great cornerstones of power, headed by the greatest brains in the world. Correction, criminal brains. The successful criminal brain is always superior. It has to be. Why become criminal? I'm sure the West would welcome a scientist of your caliber. The Americans are fools. I offered my services, they refused. So did the East. Now they can both pay their mistake yeah once we get to jamaica and we get into the action of the movie we oh man it's just like a very slow action beat that has a bunch of really exciting things at the end yes and then just like a lot of dead air there's a lot of dead air happening in this movie for me and i was like come on we can get a little snappy here we're james two two people standing in a room talking to each other (laughs) and then like but then you have awesome scenes like the tarantula fight. Yes. Or the uh, the beach shootout. Which, again, I need to bring up when we talk about Austin comparisons because I lost my mind at that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. I love those scenes. But this is the stuff I'm talking about where as a kid who liked like bright colors and screaming characters, I just couldn't fathom this. Yeah, I it, it, it the movie for me had a very strange mixture of like really fun, funny, cool, exciting stuff and then like just really weird long sequences of like the most boring there's no score, just people breathing. You're like, "What's going on?" Like it, I don't know, it didn't quite balance the feeling of an action movie as much as I wanted it to. But this is also it's also important to remember that this is 1962, 1963 here in the States. Yeah, that's true. This is probably the most exciting movie that was ever made. That's true. 
but while we talk about the pace and we're talking about these exciting sequences, I want to talk about my favorite scene in the movie. A scene that is so tense and has so much restraint, but then kind of looks so silly. It's like everything I want in a movie in like a one, two minute sequence. An assassin is sent to James Bond's uh, hotel or whatever. And he brings with him a stolen, deadly tarantula. And James Bond has to fight. (laughs) I fucking hate tarantulas. I hate spiders. I apologize to any listeners who keep those freaks as pets. They send chills up my spine. I hate bugs. I hate spiders. I want them all dead. Uh, this was this was my worst nightmare. If I was James Bond, that is when I walk directly into the ocean. That's when I just set myself on fire and I go, I'm I'm going with this thing. He's braver than I to deal with a tarantula. Do you? This is a weird random question. Yes. But do you appreciate the Indiana Jones fear of snakes more now? Seeing James Bond deal with this tarantula with no problem. I forgot about that. Uh, okay. Maybe. Well, Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes. I remember he falls into the funny. pit and then she's there and she's like, chill the fuck out, bro. She. I, I did great at remembering the name of the female character in Indiana Jones. Marion Ravenwood, you mean? There, there we go. There she is. All right, I tried. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to get. I'm trying to get a half star. At oh, least I forgot Indiana I Jones's uh, child bride, who he started dating when she was like 15. I forgot. You're right. I forgot. Back to James Bond. Now, <laughs> I love it because it's it's the reason I love that scene is it's a representative of what made Doctor No so enjoyable for me. While we had the pacing problems we talked about, I loved these action beats that are just so inventive. The budget on this movie, you can smell it. It's not high. They made this thing in like a warehouse, like three sound stages. They built everything. It looks like the porn parody of James Bond. (laughs) There are rooms where the wall is clearly just a piece of sheetrock they painted pink. It is so funny. Oh my gosh. But still, the restraint makes it work. I thought a lot of it looked really good. I mean, I, I think I just chalked it up to like the set, you know, the sixties. They also, I feel like utilized outdoor sets as much as they could, which don't need as much dressing up when they're down there, you know, on an Island. Um, but I mean the lair, Dr. Knows lair is amazing production design. So I think that like, that is where the, I think the sets were the most uh, exciting and interesting. And I, I definitely wouldn't have thought a, a small budget looking at the, at the Dr. No lair. I mean, the shot when they first walk into that kind of cagey area with the, the sun, the sunlight, I guess, moonlight where the moonlight's streaming in beautiful production design. I just, I thought it was really impressive, especially at the end. They really saved it all for the last scene for sure. Yeah. The budget of this movie, $1 million. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, that's low. No I mean, in the sixties, that sounds like a lot though. $9.8 million today. Jeepers, jeepers. Just for point of comparison, a few years later, 2001, A Space Odyssey is made for ten and a half. Oh, wow. That's a very different movie. Yeah. I don't know why I used that as my touchstone for how expensive movies are. <laughs> but even they talk about in interviews how cheap the budget was. The budget, the production designer was like, the production designer was like, uh, 
my budget was 14,500 pounds. Wow. That's nothing. Listen to this quote. Ken Adam is the production designer. I was talking to The Guardian in 2005. And yes, I found this on Wikipedia. Grow up. It's a hobby show. (laughs) Here's the quote. It wasn't a real aquarium in Dr. No's apartment. It was a disaster, to tell you the truth, because we had so little money. We decided to use a rear projection screen and get some stock footage of fish. What we didn't realize is we didn't have much money. The only stock footage they could buy was of goldfish-sized fish. So we had to blow up the size and put in a line of dialogue with Bond talking about the magnification, which I was like, that sounds weird. I could tell because the shot when it gets closer to no and bond and you're just getting the corner. I was like, that is a giant goldfish. Like it's literally just a giant goldfish and it looks like a house fish. There's also a really great gag with uh, Goya's portrait of the Duke of Wellington and how that was achieved. The painting was missing at the time. And how they did that was production designer, Ken Adam just went home and painted a copy of it. He got a photo from the museum from which it was stolen. It just painted a copy. No big deal. That's wild. Absolutely nuts. They used it for publicity and then it got stolen. (laughs) That's crazy. So how do you like that? So yeah, Dr. No, we're moving on to popcorn notes now. These are the little things we catch in the film. Maybe they'll spark some conversation. Maybe they're just funny. I I don't know. It's luck of the draw here (laughs) on Austin Danger Podcast. You should know that by now. Mackenzie, please give me some of those popcorn notes. I got a lot of them. Half my notes for this were popcorny. I am omitting the ones where I just point out Austin comparisons because we're going to get that in our next segment or the you know two segments from now. But um, my first one is the I wrote that woman. I think the first woman who's playing poker with him. I said that woman kissing him with her eyes open the entire time is horrifying. <laughs> Why did she do that? She like she just. I thought I was like, is she going to be evil? She never comes back. We never see her again, right? She's not the other lady, is she? Not that I know. There's of. two. There's two like women with black hair, and it's and it, that wear red. I got very confused by them, but she kisses him with her eyes open, and it it was really weird. I thought the line "Oh yes, that's a blood patch" was really funny <laughs> for some reason. Him, him just walking <laughs> in and being like, "Oh yes, that's a blood patch," and and then her him also following that the the the. the the cop being like, we tested it. It's O positive. And James Bond is like, mm, yes, that was the secretary's blood type. Why does James Bond know the, the secretary's blood type? I was like, why the fuck? Excuse me? Puss Feller. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Puss Feller is a bartender who's like there for like two scenes maybe. And I said, why is his name like a Bond girl name? Puss Feller. <laughs> My whole letterbox review was dedicated to Puss Feller. <laughs> Icon. Puss Feller not even listed on the wiki, by the way. You can't find that shit anywhere. Can't find him. He's he's gone forever. He's obliterated. And we need to show we need to put more respect on Puss Feller's name. If Dr. No came out today for the first time, there would be an Amazon Prime miniseries about Puss <laughs> Feller. Rise of Puss. <laughs> 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 just um, have you seen that there's that new grease spinoff called rise of the pink ladies like it's a fucking avengers movie oh yeah crazy um the rise of puss feller the rise of, of puss feller i have a bazillion notes of me hating the tarantula and then immediately after in all caps did he just suck on her towel there is a part where the <laughs> woman i think the second woman who ends up being the double agent this whole sequence was hilarious to me, so I'm going to get into it. 
he she takes a towel off and he sucks on it with his mouth and it's just like unacknowledged he just puts it in his mouth like it's a little a pacifier and he sucks on this woman's towel so that was the first thing and then the second thing was they started kissing and i heard a zipper but no one touched anything so what the fuck was unzipping then what made me laugh was after we then find out he called like mi6 to come arrest her right he pulls her into bed kisses her checks his watch to make sure he has enough time to fuck her before he arrests her and then i guess beds the woman before throwing her into a cop car i thought that was the funniest fucking thing in the whole movie was just like (laughs) him kissing her looking at his phone and going can do it i can make it work in like five minutes sure (laughs) that was so fucking funny honey's (laughs) honey's reaction to him stabbing a man was so fucking funny when they're in the where they're in the ocean or the water and the guy walks by he stabs the shit out of him honey rider has these insane reaction shots that make no sense because ursula andrus looks deeply confused and then the guy that plays coral is like you didn't have to stab him. He was literally walking past us. And James Bond's like, we gotta go. <laughs> it's like, James, why did you this kill is, that guy? Wow. Sorry. This is the week of the knife man. This is, it was the knife man. Exactly. So that made me laugh. Sorry. These are all just the things that made me lose my mind outside of the Austin references. And I think that the last big thing I have is that the, like, the fact that he was put into like a spa was so funny. And I wanted to say for you, giving <laughs> Hitman, it's giving that one level in Hitman when you're at the like Japanese hospital. Um, it's giving a little bit. It's, it's giving Hitman. Hitman. Um, so that's <laughs> great. And uh, Honey leaving and just being gone for like 20 minutes was hilarious. And Kev, what are your little kind of popcorny uh, random notes? The dragon. The dragon. Those are dragon tracks, clearly like a car. You're like, okay. It's a tank. It's like a, what it is, is it's a cardboard tank. It's a piece of cardboard. Yes. Put around a little cart. It shoots fire. What the hell was this thing? We'll get into it. I have some connections to Austin, I feel like, with this. I also feel like that's fair. That's fair. Um, RJ Dent's office looks like a set from Batman 66. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when dent gets shot it is some of the best fake getting shot i've ever seen in my life yes. he almost it looks like he breaks his arm <laughs> yeah when he falls and it's all it's like some, yeah it's very clearly somebody shouting bang 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 <laughs> off camera as somebody who's had to do that by the way that shit is really fucking hard it is so hard to guess when a guy is going to yell bang and then have to do the shot, even though I was in silhouette at the time mm. in the movie. Like, fuck, that is so difficult. I got killed once on stage, and I I was very fun. I had a blast. Speaking of knife men, I was knifed to death on stage. And it was, or I was stabbed with a sword. I was Brutus and Julius Caesar. Spoiler alert for William Shakespeare. Sure. Julius Caesar, Brutus <laughs> dies at the end. And uh, yeah, getting stabbed was fun. It was fun to die on stage. It was fun to die on stage. <laughs> Shout out to designer of the opening sequence, Maurice Binder Ooh. and animator Trevor Bond. Huh? Uh-huh. What the connection there? Who gave us some of the most iconic imagery of all time, including people dancing in silhouette, behind stationary colors yeah we go funny how that came back (laughs) but that of course will set the tone we'll talk about it more 
I don't know if there's one in From Russia with Love, but certainly Goldfinger mm-hmm. is going to be the one to talk about Gold the title sequence. Finger. But I love that song. More on that. More on that when we get there. The rest of my popcorn notes are all. Oh, one last thing. There's a scene where they're going on the boat, and it is so obviously like they may as well have just put blue tape on in front of the camera. The day for night is so bad. There was a part like immediately when someone gets in a when 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 I think when Bond gets in the car and drives off, you just see the lights. You just can see the lights in the camera in the window of the car. I was like, that is the fun. That's so funny. So good. But those are all my popcorn notes. So Mackenzie, please, could you give us your final thoughts and your rating for Dr. No? Um, this, yeah, I think again, there was so much fun to be had in this movie, but I also, it felt like such a slog to get through for like half the runtime for me. And it was just like these scenes that I could tell were important, but were so slow. One of which we will definitely get into in Alan Parsons when we talk about Austin things like, I'm sorry, but like them bathing the heroes would not take like 10 minutes in a modern movie, things like that. (laughs) So for me, the pacing is really what got me down. You know, you're coming to James Bond, accepting, expecting a certain level of like excitement and I didn't quite nail it for me here, but so much fun. Love the production design, loved Connery as Bond, loved all the things they're setting up to knock down in future films, including Austin Powers. Uh, I am the like most like three stars is good right now with this, like three stars and a heart. It's very like the very much the three stars is good. I'm giving the James Bond like journey room to grow and shrink. So I'm starting at like three stars with this. That's a good way to look at it. I think for me, the stuff I loved in this movie, I really fucking loved. And the Batman Mm. six, the Bildos, your Batman 66 of it all of it looking kind of cheap, but so obviously them trying to be their most creative with super limited resources. I really admired that, especially for what would become in just a couple of installments, a giant mega hit franchise. Right. So for me, I'm at three and a half. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is pretty good. But again, I I'm with you on the room to grow and room to shrink. Yeah. All right. I want to get into the little show that we do. We do Let's our get show. into that little show, baby. I love gold. Okay, and I love gold this week. James Bond, the Blu-ray re-releases of James Bond are usually pretty well done. And as a result, they win a bunch of awards. And so, mm. <laughs> so uh, the Saturn Award in 2007 for Best DVD, the American, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films in 2013. Oh, the Saturn Awards, duh. The, the, you know, the Saturn <laughs> Award used to be called the Golden Scroll, I learned the other night oh, because of our friends wow. at Bat and Spider. That's Golden fun, actually. Scroll. It's very fantasy. But of the time, in 1964, at the Laurel Awards, the Golden Laurel was awarded to Dr. No for Best Action Drama and to Sean Connery for Best Action Performance. And at the Golden Globes in 1964, a sham even then, I'm sure, Ursula Andress won an award called Most Promising Newcomer Female. Okay. All right. I mean, she's very pretty. So that's I Love We didn't really talk about her much. <laughs> what can I tell you? Ursula Andress, we'll talk about her in a moment. We will. Because now it is time for the Alan Parsons Project. This is the uh, big finger quotes around the name, our segment where we tie the movies into the Austin Powers franchise. Now, as you know, or as you may know, or as you may have suspected, 
there are no literal links to Austin Powers, right? Malcolm McNabb was just a gleam in God's eye. Or (laughs) or maybe he was alive and learning the trumpet as a young man. I don't know. But not even the wildest of connections, except the fact that many sequences in this film are taken whole cloth and just plopped right into Austin Powers. Yep. Do you want to go through the ones you caught? Yeah, I will. Let me see. So the first one, I mean, I feel like the first one's kind of easy. The little pistol, the tiny pistol. Yes. It feels like a staple of James Bond is obviously a staple of Austin and they make his pistol even smaller in Austin and it becomes a sort of uh, phallic joke with him and Mrs. Kinsington or him and uh, Vanessa Valerie, Vanessa Kensington in the first film. So that was the first one I caught. The next one I caught was, sorry, a lot of them came near the end. You know what I mean? Oh, the next one I caught was, was the bathing suit the bathing suit that Ursuline just wears. It's obviously worn by Felicity Shagwell in Austin and Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh, Fun bit. Uh, It was really fun seeing the the bathing suit. It was just like, there it is. And they they just ripped it immediately. And sort of on that same uh, same kind of vibe, obviously Dr. No's fit is basically Dr. Evil's fit with these sort of gray square collared situation um so quarrel's death reminded me a lot of the steamroller guy in austin because this flamethrower this dragon is going at a glacial pace and quarrel is just standing there shooting it with a gun and as i explained to rachel earlier earlier this evening he could have just started a brisk walk and gotten away from it <laughs> and he sits there and then gets completely obliterated and then james bond's like oh that's crazy i'm I've, i will not mourn that or i'm just gonna move on and they just never <laughs> talk about quarrel ever again so it kind of reminded me of the steamroller guy in terms of like he could have moved out of danger and he just stood there and died and it looked very funny. Um, so that's the one I picked up on. Uh, the shower scene is almost imme- exactly the scene from Austin. And now I realize is the joke that Austin's is really long because this scene is so long. Oh my fucking God. It's so long. It went on. It may as well have been the whole movie. <laughs> them showering took f- fucking effort i was like why is this the longest scene ever um bond walking in and commanding the henchmen and it working reminded me a lot of nigel when he's just like uncuff me and they're like yes. okay that just reminded me a lot of nigel and Goldmember. um the shower scene as i said obviously the having dinner with james bond this is part of it. Scott, why don't you just shoot some, shoot him in the head? Scott, you don't get it. You know, I, have that, a I feel gun like that's in my room. <laughs> you don't get it. That, you know, obviously that him sitting down with a dinner for uh with, with James Bond is, is just like Austin and, and Evil. And I think that, that I think that that's everything. I mean, the oh, the little space suits kind of that the guys wear are similar, I think, to the suits. But I think that we see more recreate like more exact recreations of those in future Bond films. But um Similar, similar to some of the stuff in, in uh, International Man of Mystery. But Kev, were there any other little like Austin-y references that you picked up on or things you want to talk about that are that felt Austin-y to you? This was not a, a direct reference, but my God, would I have loved an Austin villain with titanium hands. That yes. was so funny. Missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. Missed Austin opportunity. Powers 4. Uh, Dr. No holding everybody ransom for $1 million. 
<laughs> which is oh, the budget of this that. film. As I said before, $1 million is the budget of this film. So oh, isn't wow. that funny? That, I, didn't, I didn't catch that line. That's so funny. The last one that was not caught, which was not caught for a reason, I think. I don't oh. remember. This is so bad. I'm sorry. This is Austin Danger Podcast. I'm sorry. Do we see Austin and Vanessa in the raft at the end of International Man of Mystery? I don't recall that. There are three endings, all of which have this footage. Oh, no, we don't see it. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Well, basically, the ending of Dr. No is parodied in the original cut of Austin Powers, where Austin and Vanessa get away on a raft and share some dialogue. Because that's wild. There was a domino effect thing where the random task fight was originally in Dr. Evil's lair, and they shot it. It's in the work print mm. on archive.org. But instead they moved it to a new epilogue that was shot after their kind of generic where are they now ending did not work very well. We should do a, a bonus where we go beat by beat of the work print and like see what's different. I feel like that'd be interesting. I watched it a while ago and I think I even talked about it on the show. You there did. There are a lot yeah. of little things. There are a lot of little things that just didn't make it. And they're all stuff that makes the movie less of a cartoon and also seals it off. So mm. maybe for the best that they opened it up and allowed there to be a continuing world. But uh, yeah. But as you could tell by me vamping about Austin Powers, that is the last of my notes on uh, the comparisons between Dr. No and Austin Powers. Love it. Love it. There you are. You're over there. We have no U's over there, but if you want to be a U over there for next week, talk about James Bond, Dr. No, whatever Kev rolls for, then you can email us at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. But we also promised on days where we have time, we'll also share some of your reviews from Letterboxd that you tagged, Austin Danger Pod, Austin Danger Podcast, ADP, you know, whatever you're, I don't, I would say maybe not ADP because there's probably other ADPs in the world, but you know, generally we're looking for Austin Danger Pod podcast. And Kev, you have a couple of reviews from Letterboxd, right? That's right. That's right. And I should clarify, these are films that you watch along with us, that you've watched so that you can listen to the episodes. So they're not reviews on Austin Powers. I just wanted to clarify. No. Well, you know, Austin Maybe? Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me is just 10 months away. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? Our buddy Googrux Dave tagged his review, Austin Danger Pod, of Spice World, four stars. <gasps> Dave yes. writes, Dave writes, and this is some great, real accurate stuff. He writes, listen, the late 90s were a time. If you weren't there, you wouldn't believe it. Yes. Watch this for the first time with my high school valedictorian and friend with zero irony on a 24-inch tube TV and DVD in a dorm room at Harvard in the fall of 1998. If you can call a dorm room with its own kitchenette and fireplace a dorm room. Oh, what? Yeah, weird. Rich. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. That's Harvard. Dave continues, weird-ass goosebumps for the first 10 minutes watching the memories, nostalgia (laughs) fog, and music came flooding back. The wheel provides ADP with one of the most ADP movies out there. Yeah. It's lovely and true. Next, from our buddy Joe Jazzy, The Cat in the Hat. Two and a half stars from Joe, so not quite at our level, but that's okay. 
The, this movie's existing is one of life's greatest mysteries and the subject yes. of one of my favorite episodes of the Austin Danger podcast, an essential Aww. supplement for this film. Thank you, Joe. Essential supplement. Get us on the Blu-ray release, okay? I don't know. With the, with the amount of times we talked about Mike Myers' behavior on set, I don't know, man. <laughs> we get sued by Mike Myers, and that's how this podcast ends. <laughs> Look, uh, Mike, so, we'll yeah. withdraw our statements if you do Austin Powers for... If Mike Myers will talk to us, I will go back and ADR myself over. <laughs> and when Mike on set was like, I love working here. I am happy here on the set of Cat in the Hat. Right? Yeah, We're that's really our... jealous of the chocolate boy that Mike Myers hired on set. <laughs> boy, wouldn't it be great to be him? <laughs> yeah, ADR, Cat in the Hat, cursed cut coming to you soon. <laughs> You know, there are many infamous stories that Mike Myers was friendly and approachable on set. It's crazy. <laughs> when, my, when Mike Myers, as the cat, wore white guy dreads, I loved it. I thought it was completely appropriate. <laughs> and not culturally insensitive. I can't even do the bit. I'm laughing so hard. Oh, we got to see what's next week. Kev, you got that wheel? Here it comes. It's lowering down. I was in the middle of doing a bit where there was just nothing and then Alec Baldwin. So (laughs) maybe for the best, that bit got abandoned. (laughs) All right, let's spin it. Mackenzie, in the year 1998, a song came out uh, called (gasps) Closing Time by the band Semisonic. (gasps) Yeah, great song. One of the great lyrics in that song is every new beginning is some other beginning's end. And as we end the beginning of the James Bond journey next week in Austin Danger podcast, we are beginning another journey. Oh God. Oh God. 98. What came out in 98? Is it the- 19 years before Semisonic released that song, Ridley oh. Scott <gasps> took us. No. Into the depths of space. No. No. Are you kidding me? Where no one can hear you scream. Are you fucking kidding me, Kev? Are you Next fucking week kidding on me? Austin Danger Podcast, Ridley Scott presents Dan O'Bannon's screenplay and H.R. Giger's creature designs. We're what? watching Alien. What? Are you fucking kidding me? Every I... new beginning comes from some Audience? other beginnings. And... More than any other movie. This is one of my biggest blind spots. I have never seen it. And every time someone learns the fact about me that I have not seen Alien, I get the most shit ever. This is wild. If you can rent or buy, I I may actually buy the 4K disc for this. See this in 4K. The 4K is unbelievable. I am like speechless. I cannot believe that Ellen Ripley will finally be in my life. I've seen so many photos of her and I already love her so much. I cannot believe she's going to be in my life finally. And that's next week. Again, we're just knocking them down this year on Austin Danger Podcast. Oh, is it scary? It's scary, right? And if you want to be a part of it, if you're (laughs) nervous about us not covering something, if you want to make sure your voice is heard, you can send us emails and uh, voicemails, preferably under 90 seconds, to austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. Is it scary? Is it scary? I'm nervous. (laughs) Oh, no. That's next week. For now, for Mackenzie, this is Kev. 
Awesome Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening.